The scripture this morning is from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen. Uh, we're going to be reading beginning in verse 16 on through the end of the chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God offered to us in its reading and in its hearing this day. So we give thanks to him. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come before you thankful for your word. Really taking a moment to pause and reflect on how outstanding it is that we can hear from you through your word. That your word is, is revelation of salvation for us. And so as we approach it this day, we do so humbly. Asking that you would remove every word from my lips that is not yours and that you would only replace them with your word. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your miraculous measure, open our hands that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of my life, uh, I have owned one brand new car. Only one. Uh, now, of course, as it should be, it is uh, a Toyota Sienna minivan. Bless the Lord, every man dreams of owning a minivan. But actually, once we have the minivan, we think to ourselves, how did I ever live without it? You can fit so much in the minivan. Eight people and luggage for all in a minivan. It's glorious. If you don't have a minivan, I highly recommend it. Uh, in the fall, I shared a story with you about my first car, 1966 Chevy pickup truck. Uh, and I shared the story of how... Uh, how the truck originally came to me, uh, how it was then sold, and how the Lord uh, restored it to me uh, at the end of last summer, and it's now in the parking lot today. Isn't it beautiful? Um, and I think about 
that time in my life. I was 23 years old, and when Lauren and I sold the truck, uh, we, we sold it for the purpose of having uh, seat belts for uh, Addison's car seat. Now that she's 15 year old, years old, it seems hard to imagine, but yes, we had to have her in a baby seat. And, uh, and, and, and that, was, uh, that, that was the impetus and the purpose that led me to the dealership after I sold my truck. And so I went to the dealership, and I was 23, and I looked like I was 16. And when I walked up to, uh, to, the, uh, to the, the salesman, they said, uh, hey, uh, where are your parents? <laughs> Happened. True story. And, and, uh, and I said, oh, no, I'm here. I'm here to, to, to buy a, a new car, I said proudly and was really excited. And, and uh, I uh, I, I said, um, so, so, so we need something uh, for a family. We're starting a family. Show me what you got for families. And so we drove around some new cars. And, and I loved that time driving someone else's new car. Uh, I loved how they smelled. I loved how they felt. I loved how, how fast they went and how I could go fast without worrying because it was not mine. And, uh, and so all of that was great except for the fact that... Um, we got out of these new cars, and we started talking about price and how many years you had to pay these things off. And I said, hey, could I, could I you know, nine, ten years to pay it off? And they chuckled and, you know, no, four or five, depending upon your credit, and you're going to have weak credit because you're 23. And they, they said, wait till you see the interest rate. It's going to make you really happy. And so we then strategically and intentionally moved from the uh, new car section of the lot to the, uh, to the loser section of the lot, <laughs> where I have since resided all times, except for whenever we bought the minivan. Uh, and while we were there, we found a, a Honda Passport. Now, it, it was a little SUV, loved it. It was perfect for us, not too many miles. Price was right, but evidently something might have been wrong because Honda only made them for like three years, and some of you are like, I never knew Honda Passports existed. Well, they did, and I drove one. And, and I remember after I bought it, I went, uh, I, I would drive around, and, uh, and I arrived at seminary for the first time uh, that spring in the new, in the new car, and, and I got out of it, and my friends were getting out as well, because we were all going to be walking to class, and, and one of them shouted out, look at Burnham with the new car, and I, was, and I was like, yeah, new car. And then I felt a little bit like a liar, right, because it wasn't really a new new car. So I just adopted a phrase then that I have carried on throughout. I, I then turned to him and said, yeah, it's new to me. And so that has been my phrase. I even used it just a couple of years ago, three years ago, I had a 1998 Chevy Blazer. Some of you will remember that in the parking lot of the church. Uh, it was an embarrassment, so I parked it way, like way, way in the back. And whenever I first drove up with the Blazer, someone said, Jason, I see you have a car. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's new to me. <laughs> And, 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 and in that, for me, is, 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 is a truth that I had to con be confronted with the fact that things that are brand new, like absolutely new, come with a price. 
And, and, and it's a big price. It's, it's a price that, 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 that is much higher than something that is not quite really new. But if we're honest, we also have to acknowledge that even things that are new to us come with a price as well. That if you are to get something new, you are going to pay for it. And whenever we gather around uh, this scripture in this year, as we, as we hear that God is making all things new, uh, we, have to, uh, we have to acknowledge that we approach that phrase with a framework that new costs. When we define new through our cultural lens, we think new costs. And if it's brand new, it costs big. We need to define this in a new way uh, and, 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 uh, and lean into it from the perspective of, of God's word and from the, the perspective of, of what the Christian witness says new is. We need to, to define it yet again. Because whenever we, we gathered last week, we established what our annual theme is, that, that God is making all things new. God is making all things new. That comes to us from Revelation 21, and uh, it, it is... It's a chance for us to hear afresh in verse 5 uh, what Christ is about the work of. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, I invite you to go back and listen because it will center our lives for the year. In verse 5, we get this image and Jesus is seated on the throne and he, he says out loud, Look, behold, see, I am making everything, all things new. And then he, he restates from there, he says, he says uh, from the throne, look, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am in the business of making things new. And so we, we come today to our scripture, a, a, a supplement of sorts, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and we hear in verse 17 uh, a, a new, uh, another version of what this new thing is. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And, and so we, we, we must feel a sense of, of weight, of burden, to be compelled to address what is this new thing. It, it, it's one thing to say, oh, everything's being made new, or the new is here, old is gone. But what is new for us scripturally? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 continues on, and it offers us a glimpse into what that looks like. It says, uh, all this, this newness, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, now I'll pause there and say, giving us the, uh, the ministry of reconciliation and us being ambassadors of that, that, that's another sermon or another sermon series. We'll, we'll hopefully address that an, at another point in time, but today we're just going to sit for a moment in that definition of new and for us to hear that that newness is about reconciliation between us and God. That God is reconciling us to him. Now, now, reconciliation is not a word that you or I often use. It's probably one that, 
that, that, that, that comes with a, like, like, a, like a question mark in our heads because we don't speak it often. And so for us to really come around it, we might have an assist from another, uh, another text in Romans uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. We hear another, uh, another allusion to what this looks like. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, peace. Now, now this should begin to resonate for us, uh, for us biblical scholars, brothers and sisters, all of us together, that, that this is, what, this is the, the movement of the scriptures. This is the meta-narrative of all that God has borne witness to us, that, that from the beginning there was shalom. At creation there was unity with God. We were totally one in the garden. And when sin entered into the world at the fall, the entire story of Scripture is now about how we address, how God addresses the divide that now rests between us and God. That thing that we need reconciliation for, that, that unity that we now require because of the division that we experience. Whenever there is divide, reconciliation is needed. It's, it's like earlier, I, 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 uh, I was kind of mean to Kelly Cox and talked about how she might not want to be up here speaking. And if I were uh, to want to, to, to acknowledge that divide and be reconciled with her, I might need to approach her and admit and first claim, what is this thing that is between us? Uh, I might have to confess and name it and say, I picked on you and I was ugly. Uh, I, I, made you, I, I made you the butt of my joke. That's not nice. And so then we would have to work towards reconciliation. So there's a naming of the cause of the divide that is necessary. And for us, we see quite clearly in Scripture that this peace that is required, this reconciliation that is made possible is, is what heals our brokenness in sin. That sin is the wedge that divides us. When I was uh, in junior high and high school during the summers, I would go up to Ohio to my uncle uh, and aunt's house, and my uncle would put me to work on his real estate properties. But whenever things were pretty well put together on his different properties, uh, I would be charged with the task of, of, uh, of splitting lumber. I know we don't do a lot of splitting lumber here in Houston, Texas, but here's how it goes. There were three instruments uh, that I was given. I was given an axe, I was given a maul, and I was given a wedge. And, uh, and, and the purpose was to take uh, huge trunks that, that, w that were cut down and then, to, uh, and then to split them into burnable lumber that he could use in his fireplace throughout the winter. And so I would come in the summer, I would stock up his entire uh, back wall of his house, and, uh, and he would then never have to split any wood. He would sit there smoking his pipe, watching me do this, and probably laughing. And so, and so I would have the, all of this wood out in his backyard, and you would use the axe. Well, first of all, I would always try the maul because the maul is, is an axe on one end and a, and a sledgehammer on the other. And uh, it, has, it has kind of a V-shape. So if you get it just right, you could cause the wood to split without much work. But I was young, I was weak, 
and foolish, and so most of the time it didn't work. So I would take the maul, and I would slam it down, and nothing would happen. Uh, and so when nothing happened, what I was then required to do was to take the axe and cut a little notch in it so that then I could place a wedge, which is basically the, hand, the, the head of a maul by itself. A sledge on one end, uh, 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 axe blade on the other, and it wedges in a V so that I could take the sledge side of the maul, I could, I could knock it in, and then, then I would start hitting the wedge. And as I was hitting the wedge, you could hear and see the wood splitting open, splintering and fracturing as there was a divide between what was once one, now making two. And I want you to allow that image to settle in as we see our sin and the sins of the world driving a wedge, splintering and fracturing our relationship with God so that we are then divided from God. And there is a distance and a gap that is so wide that we can't even imagine how it would be possible for those two to be reunited, reconciled, and made one. That is the need that we have. And that is what is uh, be, what being made new looks like. It is putting those two things miraculously back together. So we then must ask, brothers and sisters, how is that possible? What is the mechanism that could restore, reconcile, unify, make peace between the two? What could pay that price? Uh, we, we hear it in in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, we, we focused in on verse 16 and 17 already, but we need to go to the end as well so that we could hear uh, how, how Paul uh, binds this passage up. He says, God made him who had no sin. That is Jesus. Jesus, the sinless one, the only one ever to walk the earth without sin. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin, to become sin, to take on sin for us, for you, for me, for us, you're incorporated into that. God made Jesus take on sin for you. And, and that has a purpose. It's so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that when we are unified, we take on the righteousness of God. God it, it embeds that into us, and we are now walking with Christ and unified to God through him. That is the only way that this is made possible. Paul also talks about this, this process in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19 and 20. Uh, and and th this is tying back to that Romans peace language uh, along with reconciliation. Here's what it says. It says, for God was pleased. It was actually his pleasure to have all of his fullness, God's fullness, dwell in Jesus. And now through Jesus, God reconciles himself to all things, including you and me. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by, this is how, this is the mechanism, making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. What is being made new, new is being reconciled, unified to God. How? How? To begin with, we have to acknowledge what separates us, and that is the wedge of sin driven in between us and God. How is this reconciled? Because Jesus took on our sin so that we might be one with God through his sacrifice, through his blood shed on the cross for you and for me. That's the glorious gospel that we, uh, that, that we, uh, that we celebrate, that we rejoice in, and, and we acknowledge as a, as a part of who we are as Christians. And, and so all that's left is to ask, how can I participate in this? I want, uh, I want to be a part of that. I don't just want to know of it or to hear of it, but I want to enter into it and experience it. And so we, we turn back to, to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and, and, and we don't just hear about the, the old being gone and the new coming, but we turn to the beginning of that text, to that phrase that's inserted between the commas, and say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we say, okay, well, well that's what it's all about. If we are in Christ, if we are to be in Christ, then we receive reconciliation, we receive peace, and we receive unity by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. So I want to be in Christ. What does that look like? How do we experience it? Another description of that comes, from us, comes to us in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 9. Hear this, it says, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions, and it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. But hear this, hear this, for it is by grace grace you have been saved hear that and let it speak to you into your heart it is by grace that i have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast. There is nothing, not one thing you can do to pay for this price. It is through faith alone that we are able to receive this grace, and it is a free gift from God. And, and so whenever we enter in and we say, I, I, I need to be made new, I know that I'm broken, I know that I'm in need, I know that I've experienced sin, and I feel distant from God as though the relationship has been fractured and splintered. I need to be restored and made new. All it takes is for us to be in Christ, and for us to be in Christ is to say, Jesus, I love you. I need you. I need a Savior. You are my Savior Restore me, and he will. 
Now, if we take just a moment, we might think this is an interesting uh, uh, a sermon to preach at the beginning of a stewardship Sunday uh, because I was handed a pledge card on the way in. And so you might be motivated or, or, or even allow yourself for a moment just to think, if I put a big enough number in that blank, then I can receive salvation. False. The number that you put in that blank cannot pay the price for your salvation. And we should have no concern as we put numbers in that blank with our works achieving anything because we know that it is Jesus who already paid the ultimate price for us. We give not because it's a works of our salvation or it saves us. We give because we invest in others. We give because we're acknowledging the source of our gifts. And we celebrate when we give that God already paid everything for you and for me. So as we come into this, this time and we allow ourselves to, to hear what it is to be made new, I hope and pray that each of us might be struck, compelled by the truth that there is nothing that we can do but have faith in the one that has already done it. He has paid it all for you and for me. And now we are reconciled and made new in Christ. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come humbly before you rejoicing Rejoicing in this gift of salvation. Thankful for, uh, for, for, for your word, this biblical witness of, of what it means to be made new. God, we ask that you would orient our lives around your truth. That we would surrender to our, to our lack, to our emptiness, to our incapacity. And, and we ask, God, that you would remind us in that space that you are able, that you have accomplished great things, the greatest thing through your son, Jesus Christ. And so now in this space, uh, Lord, Lord, if that for, for everyone that, that's, that's already professed your name, uh, the name of your son Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, we, we come before you, and in that space, we ask that you would, you would continue uh, uh, to be about the work of making us new, Lord, that, that you wouldn't stop, uh, but you would actually uh, invade those dark corners of our soul, that, 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 that we hide our sin with shame, and we ask, God, that you would, you would intercede there and that you would shine your light of grace there so that we might be truly and fully transformed. And now, gracious God, I, I come before you and for all of us who gather this day who have find ourselves not yet convinced of your grace, who've heard this, this word of salvation, who heard of what it means to be made new for, the, for, for maybe the first time or the 50th time, but feel compelled by your Holy Spirit to respond, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully 
And we pray together, Lord, we love you. We need you. Because our sin is too great to measure and the cost is beyond our capacity. God, through your son, Jesus Christ, you have satisfied that that cost. You have paid the price. And so we, we confess now in this space and time, your son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, we offer our lives to you and we ask God that you would make us new. Allow us to be in Christ and place Christ at the center of our lives so that all that we say and do would bring you glory. Lord, we offer our, our lives to you. Acknowledging that being made new has a cost, but it's not ours to pay for you already paid it. this, inviting your presence by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name, and we ask God that you would be with us as we continue in worship, as we enter into this time of offering, we ask, oh God, that you would bless uh, these gifts to transform this community and this world, and we ask God that you would, that you would be glorified in what is done in this space and time, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.